Blog Talk Radio. Hello, this is Gigabit Nation. We want to have uh, great conversations here and great insights into the whole issue of broadband and broadband adoption all over the country. Um, today, for beginning our new year, um, we want to focus on the fact that um, a lot of attention has been given to the needs of rural communities for broadband. But there is also a strong need for broadband infrastructure, broadband adoption, uh, digital literacy together in the um, urban setting. And a lot of attention probably needs to be um, added to the, 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 the broadband discussion of those needs because it can easily be, I guess, lost in the you know the overall hubbub of, of broadband and uh, today we're going to really focus on this issue of um, broadband in the urban setting and um, our guest today is Michael Lamada who is now the new manager for Connect Home which is a, a new initiative that's been started by the uh, the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development. Michael, welcome to the show. Oh, great! Thank you so much for having me, Craig. So I'm glad this, to be here. It's it's been about five years since we first talked. Oh, you're right. You you were probably one of my first interviews back when uh, when I started this um, because of your work in Kansas City. And uh, which really a good start, a good place to start this interview, because you have been really steeped into uh, the 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 issues of urban broadband and all, and specifically dealing with uh, uh, low income areas, which often get a, a short thrift um, when we're dealing with technology issues. And uh, so, let's, you know, let's talk a little bit about, you know, what have you done in um, Kansas City, because it clearly is the foundation of a lot of the stuff that you'll be doing in our nation's capital. Yeah, thanks. Well, you know, my uh, main background is academia. I spent you know nearly 20 years as a college professor and uh, academic dean with City, Uni- City Vision University, and uh, about, you know, almost, almost nearly five years ago, Kansas City was announced as, you know, the very first Google Fiber City, mm-hmm. and so co- my colleagues and I really took a hard look at, you know, the coming of Google Fiber into Kansas City and realized that uh, really there were huge Groups within our population there, especially in the minority and low-income communities and recent immigrants, who really wouldn't be touched by this amazing, you know, uh, happening of the coming of Google Fiber. Mm-hmm. So that really was kind of the genesis of connecting for good. Uh, my partner Rick Dean, uh, who was a, also the co-founder, uh, he uh, worked previously for a number of years before. Uh, 
with one economy. And when they were involved with uh, Wi-Fi installations and mesh networks in low-income housing, so mm-hmm. he had already wired up about 16 low-income housing uh, projects in Kansas City and brought the kind of the IT side of things. And I guess for me it was the marketing and PR and fundraising that together we were able to uh, go ahead and be, uh, create Connecting for Good. Mm-hmm. So um, now what are a couple of the like major accomplishments that you pulled together in in your efforts? I know that there was a lot of things that you were involved with um and and I've been sort of uh, you know watch this from a distance uh what some of the uh things that you you're doing but but when you look sort of, when you look back you know what would you consider what do you consider some of the major uh accomplishments that you've you've been able to to pull off there well I think one of the things that we learned in Kansas City is uh it is possible to bring broadband to uh, public housing, low-income housing, very economically, using mesh networks and wireless. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, we brought together, you know, uh, a network of our own where we had a data center and used dishes, uh, the ubiquity air fiber dishes, to create kind of a rooftop network that allowed us to bring free Wi-Fi into these. Uh, projects touching about 500 families. And uh, using that method, we actually provided a pretty solid 10 meg signal to people for about $10 a year per user. Mm -hmm. Uh, The other thing we did uh, was work uh, in computer refurbishing. So, you know, one of the, it, it doesn't really help much if you have broadband internet and don't have a computer. So right. we collect, collected uh, thousands of used computers, created a computer refurbishing operation, uh, hired staff, and then we used interns and volunteers to produce a couple of hundred useful devices a, a month that we sold uh, a full desktop system for $75. And in some ways, we flooded the inner city. Uh, at least in Kansas City, the American Community Survey done by the census feel that there were areas of, of the town where only one in five families even owned a computer and, a, and an internet connection. So we set up what we call community technology centers in those neighborhoods and began classes where we trained thousands of folks, uh, provided open access computer centers, and uh, and also then distributed thousands of very low-cost uh, computers. I think all of this confirms with a lot of recent studies, like the one by Dr. Ryan Smith from Corbenton and uh, Dr. Horgan's studies for Pew show that you know we, we, we what we've known all along is that cost is the main reason people don't get online. It's not we're not in an age where we have to convince people they need to get online. Yeah, so it's more like you know willing. It's not willingness to subscribe. It's more like ability to subscribe. And so we're we really learned that lowering the bar cost-wise opened the door uh, to become digital citizens for thousands of people in Kansas City. Mm-hmm. Uh, our big, one of our main partners in Kansas City was the Housing Authority of Kansas City, Kansas, and uh, we actually operated our computer refurbishing operations and 
maintain the public access computer center in uh, a facility owned by the housing authority. And I think that relationship, as well as our work with uh, the city of Kansas City, Missouri, and their housing authority, is kind of what brought me to the attention of the folks here at HUD and how I ended up in D.C. Hmm. Very interesting. Um, let me. I, I, I want to definitely focus on a lot of what's going on with Connect Home, but let's start with one question. I think that, uh, in fact, we have just had this discussion when we when you were on the show the the first time years ago, which is um, people, I think, don't understand the economic dynamics in a low-income neighborhood and why even if you're released, if you're um, uh, giving the offering the services at you know 30 bucks or, or 20 bucks a month uh, as, as, a, as a fee that this creates still creates a, 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 a hardship for free people. I mean, how 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 do you explain that that dynamic for you know sort of your average person you know who doesn't you know who has no understanding of of this whole uh, issue? Yeah, I, I think one of the things that I, I have always said is that you know the digital divide is really the same old social, economic, cultural, racial uh, divide that we've always had in America except that not being able to connect and participate in the digital world uh, puts you that much farther behind. I think okay. I'm, I'm, I'm excited here, you know, Secretary Julian Castro here, the uh, Secretary of HUD, has got a, is a real visionary in all of this. And I think he, as well as I, agree that uh, probably digital inclusion and, and the ability to connect with the online resources is one of the ways to fast-track educational attainment and economic mobility for America's low-income citizens. You know, there's no, uh, I don't think, and this has kind of been my mantra for the last five years since I left left academia, is, you know, we can fast-track people to better lives by giving them access to technology, to Internet resources. Mm-hmm. So, um, as the you know people come to realize that yes, there is a um, a need. How do you deal with the kind of um, non-visionary person who says, "Why should we uh, give our tax dollars?" to uh, give low-income people access to the Internet? Because aren't they going to just goof off and uh, not do anything useful with that um, access? I mean, how, so how, how, do you, how do you respond to that? Well, I mean, ultimately, one of the biggest uh, elements of Connect Home and something we attacked as well in Kansas City is what we would call the homework gap. Mm-hmm. You know, for when you look at uh, high schools, for instance, there there are sometimes in schools, 
you know, 75% of the assignments that school children get uh, require some access to the Internet. So uh, I don't see how, you know, people who are against giving school children Internet can justify that. In Kansas <laughs> City, where I just came from, uh, you know, we knew that 70% of the children uh, in the Kansas City Public School District, which is like about a 95% free and reduced fund school district, do not have Internet at home. The school district received a grant for computers and really tried to launch this one-to-one program where every high schooler would have a laptop to take home with them. But so the problem is when 70% of them don't have the Internet at home, what, what good is that laptop? Mm-hmm. And I think that I think we know one thing for certain, and that is succeeding in high school is one of the critical tickets to get out of poverty. Right. So if you if you can't give if you can't get behind supporting, you know, motivated children to uh, get online, I don't think you know you're thinking straight. Right, and I, I mean I I totally agree. I mean I think that um, there there was a guest on the show um, in December, I guess, where we we were dealing with that same issue and his response was um you know you've got a population that often wants to get ahead they want to get a better job they want to get better uh, the, the ability to, to to provide for their kids uh, for their family and so we as a society uh should be doing whatever we can to provide that way out. And so as a result, you know, that's why this person, a, you know, he runs a, um, a uh, ISP in, in Oregon, and, you know, he's very much about, you know, giving those people who have a desire to, um, to make a better life for themselves Give them what they need to move forward, and not get all sanctimonious about you know they don't deserve this and that and all that kind of ridiculousness. Makes no sense because you know it's our advantage, it's to our advantage to get a segment of the population um, on track digitally to take advantage of this technology. Well. I know you remember the old um, television ads, a mind is a terrible thing to waste, right? Yes, indeed. And so I'm, I'm convinced that, you know, we could have the next Bill Gates, Steve Jobs, in a public housing project. And giving that kid the, the ability to succeed in school, to let his imagination uh, free with with an internet connection and a computer and the knowledge to use it, uh, it, it could create something incredible. Definitely, I mean, I, I'm definitely uh, behind that 100%. So then that brings us to connect uh, home. What is the organization or the agency's mission, and how does their mission? dovetail with your experience 
and philosophy? Well, in uh, you know, we know that President Obama has uh, really made broadband expansion and access a big priority of his administration. And so, you know, we have groups like the Broadband Opportunity Council, all the work with the NTIA, and, and even for rural, the USDA has been involved with broadband uh, adoption strategies. And I think, you know, in some ways, Connect Home is sort of like an extension to his uh, Connect Ed initiative, which was actually focused on, you know, getting 97% of all schools in America online, which, you know, has been, you know, very, very successful. Uh, So Connect Home, on top of that, pretty much is the notion that it's really tragic that kids have this connectivity and this opportunity to access online resources in school, but when they leave school, uh, then, you know, there's no more access. Mm -hmm. And if we look at the digital divide, it really, you know, is very much uh, an economic issue almost more than anything else. And so when you think of public housing, the families that live in public housing, you know, have an average of maybe 1200 or $12,500 a year. So when you're worried about buying shoes and food and keeping the lights on, somehow, you know, connecting to the Internet and all of that just, becomes sort of a secondary thing. So within HUD, we've established this initiative called Connect Home, and we're working with 28 cities, uh, partnerships pretty much between city government and the public housing authorities, uh, and also partners like PBS and some of the major ISPs to create $10 Internet plans to get refurbished computers, low-cost devices, resources, into uh, in the hands of the people who most need them. Right. So we were thinking, or our focus is the 28 communities and about 200,000 school children that we hope will be affected by our efforts. Hmm. That's a pretty, uh, a pretty big chunk of folks. Um, and and so, what kind of a time frame do you think it will take to get uh, that many people impacted by your your programs? Well, uh, we're thinking that very possibly uh, it, it will be a five-year process. Okay. Uh, but even within the first year. Uh, we we think that a pretty good chunk of that will be will be uh, you know attained. I think the issue has been that there's never been an effort like this before. You know, mm-hmm. I, I like to think of of public housing as kind of like ground zero for the digital divide. It's like right. where is the digital divide? Well, go to public housing. Uh, mm-hmm. Right now, we're we're actually conducting a first ever uh, study that is going to about 10,000 homes with children in, in public housing in our 28 cities. And uh, we're trying to establish an initial baseline as to how many are connected and then to find out, well, how how much can we move the needle in terms of you know getting that number of connected households uh, uh, increased. I know in Kansas City, which you know, is my 
point of reference, we figured that maybe one in five, 20 percent of public housing families were connected. And so if we could get that even this year to 35 percent, that would be a major accomplishment. Mm-hmm. It's a... Um it seems daunting some days. Um, now, h- how do you plan to work with the various uh, entities? Like I read, I re- read your uh, pr- press release, and um, you know the game plan is to tie in with nonprofits, foundations, uh, ISP, the, the general private sector. Um, but what does that actually mean? And day-to-day application? What is it going to be um, you're going to invite uh, ideas or you, you have ideas and you're going to work with them in con- conjunction with all these people together? Uh, what, what kind of things do you think will will flow forth from this? Well, HUD has a nonprofit partner called everyoneon.org. And oh, really? worked also within, uh, you know, the the digital divide space for about five years or so. And so in some ways, they they have been kind of the the uh, clearinghouse for all the partners that have been coming into the Connect Home initiative. Mm-hmm. Uh, our big focus, at least initially, has been to try to get free access or very reduced price access uh, available to the the families within the 28 uh, Connect Home cities. So we, you know, have involved, been engaging with folks like Google Fiber, uh, uh, Sprint, Comcast, uh, Cox Internet, uh, all of these to create, you know, plans that are $10 a month or less. Then that will uh, create, you know, look, make that $10 sort of our goal as far as the you know magic number for what we think most people can afford to pay. And in the case of the Google Fiber cities, which there are several of them in the 28-city footprint that we have, they're actually bringing free connections into public housing facilities as well. So that's the first part of it, the connectivity piece. And, uh, you know, we, we are working with these ISPs pretty much to uh, fast-track the approval process. You know, so many times the the process of getting, you know, that $10 plan, you've got to approve income and all of that, which can be a lengthy process, whereas we're allowing these, or providing ISPs access to HUD's database so that just your address alone will be enough to qualify you for the programs because HUD has already vetted these families Mm, them right. living in public housing. Mm-hmm. So that no. that's oh, a sorry. huge barrier to a, a lot of times people don't take advantage of these low-cost programs because the qualification process can be daunting. So right. we're lowering that barrier by saying, you live at this address, which we know is a HUD-funded facility, you automatically qualify because we did all the work already to make sure that you are low-income. And this actually touches on um, something that you and I talked about earlier today, which is the concept of um, moving discussions 
to I mean it includes technology, but also you have to take into account the human factor. Uh, how, 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 how do you explain that part? Well, I think uh, I, I just we were uh, participated uh, earlier this year with Dr. Colin Ryan uh, Smith's study for the Benton Foundation, where mm-hmm. he went out and he visited a number of digital inclusion organizations. And I think one of the takeaways from his research, which was really right on from my experience, is that we need to stop thinking about digital inclusion, uh, focusing on the human-computer interactions, and mm-hmm. begin thinking about the human-to-human interactions. So that a part of uh, what he talks about, and which he picked up from his study, is that many people uh, need that person to kind of be their mentor and to be their kind of introduction into the online world. I think a lot of us who have been steeped in technology, living, you know, with computers for 20-plus years, uh, forget that for a lot of people, especially, you know, the 50 and over uh, person, uh, this is a whole new world. And so... I mean, folks like me who didn't even see a computer till I finished graduate school, um, uh, it's a whole new new day. Uh, and, and for seniors and 50 and ups, it, it's sort of like, uh, you know, it's not that easy to be get connected for the first time. And so a whole focus, I think, of digital inclusion has got to be how do we create those human-to-human reactions that introduce people to this digital world. You know, there's been this kind of stubborn 30% of the digital divide, and, and it hasn't, you know, moved that much over over even the last 20 years. And mm-hmm. so I think kind of turning it around and creating those kind of uh, human-to-human react interactions is probably the only way we're going to get that stubborn remaining piece of it closed. Because, I mean, on one hand, we have the kids who, in school, are becoming digital citizens and learning how to use computers, but we have another generation that is just being introduced to them for the first time. And, you know, things like socialsecurity.gov and healthcare.gov, you know, all of the social service world is being moved to this online platform, and a lot of people are struggling with that. Uh, and also in the in the employment world, where right now 75% of all new hires started with some kind of online contact. It, and so we worked a lot with with you know adults 50 and over. We worked a lot with uh, recent immigrants. Uh, we worked a lot with people who had just come out of prison after, you know, not being around computers for 10 or more years. Uh, and for them, it, it's kind of a, a a new world, but that's the only way that they're going to be find gainful employment pretty much these days, mm-hmm. especially for more than just a minimum wage job. Right. Now, you know, what what kind of impact do you see happening you know, and based on your experience, you know, um, again, we have this um, prejudicial mindset of certain people that, um, 
you know, low income means no motivation. Uh, the fact that you're working two jobs to just kind of keep it all together seems to have no bearing on, on folks. But in um, reality, you know, do you see uh, changes? Do you see people using the technology and becoming more motivated? I mean, what kinds of, like, core responses do you guys, uh, you know, both in Kansas City and now in, in Washington, what kind of things do you expect? Well, again, I, you know, as an educator for all those years, I'd say that, you know, every study shows us that education is the, is the number one way people get out of poverty. It's mm-hmm. a surefire way uh, to gain economic mobility in this country. And now we have a situation where you you cannot have a quality education unless you're a digitally, ed, uh, you know, literate. The sad part of it is we're living in another era where many states now offer free uh, GED completion online, but you can't take a part of it unless you're online. Uh, now there are many options uh, for community college and, and moving forward even into higher education uh, conveniently, inexpensively, but that's all also online. And so the, the ability to, to participate in any of these opportunities is, is tied to your Internet access and device mm-hmm. ownership. Mm-hmm. Um is there a um is there enough qualified people to actually handle the the demand of getting, you know, we're talking I think it was about 250,000 kids that, that that are sort of that, that are covered in those 28 um, uh, communities. Um, will there be a problem with getting enough people who can do who can teach digital literacy? Because you know, I, I think that part of the you know problem with uh, these kinds of programs are getting people to take advantage. But on the on the other side, you have to have a certain amount of uh, per- personnel to be able to uh, carry off these uh, uh, objectives. Is that going to be a, uh, an issue, or do you figure out, you know, you, have you figured out exactly how you're going to, you know, meet that need, or what do you think? Of course, that's my challenge, right? That's what I took uh, on. <laughs> okay. So, the, the the nice thing about Connect Home is it really is not just a government program. It's really a um, you know initiative that involves multiple levels of uh, you know community engagement. So, for instance, one of our major partners is the American Library Association, and we're exploring ways that librarians and libraries can support the whole Connect Home initiative. The other side of it is we have folks like Best Buy who are actually going to be using their staff to train 
some folks in some cities. Uh, we have other groups, you know, involved with the schools that will be engaging with our people. And it looks like we'll actually have some money to enable housing authorities to hire their own digital ambassadors so that they will have someone actually on staff whose job is to help people with digital access and, and training. Okay. Um, well, that would definitely be a, a big, a big, a big plus. Um, have you considered um, uh, a practice? I'm not sure how we describe it. So, so there are uh, have number. There have been a number of communities where um, someone or several someones are responsible um, for taking uh, either teens or senior citizens uh, to help them develop a certain level of digital literacy, and then they become uh, teachers for their peers, both and on the up uh, on the you know on the teen side, but also on the uh, senior side, and, and really anybody in between. Um, are you going to think about maybe formalizing that kind of a process, or maybe you have already thought about that? Yeah, well, actually, you know, one of the partners in Connect Home is the Boys and Girls Clubs. Okay. So, they are stepping up their efforts in this whole digital inclusion and digital training arena as well. So they are active in several of our cities. Uh, PBS ha- is getting involved, and they have their outreach workers. And so, and we're also going to be looking at, you know, the Corporation for National Service and, you know, AmeriCorps and some of those people getting involved. So from my perspective, I think, what you know, as we provide cheap Internet, uh, working with, you know, GSA and other sources for, you know, refurbished and decommissioned computers. Uh, also, partners like GitHub, for instance, they're, they're, they're also providing staffing and actually are engaged right now in crowdfunding to raise some money for uh, devices. They've actually contributed some money uh, to one of our communities, which is the Choctaw Nation in Oklahoma, to get devices to them so they could use them. So, you know, it, it's kind of a interesting um, mix of of public uh, private concerns getting involved, and we're involved with challenging, you know, Silicon Valley and some of the tech companies to also get on board. So, uh, for instance, coming up Thursday, Secretary Castro is going to be doing a fireside chat at Google with Eric Schmidt. And mm-hmm. I think that's one more way for us to say, you know, you have a cause uh, that you support. Well, here's one that, you know, you should get behind, and that's Connect Home. Mm-hmm. So um, it's, a, it's a whole, I mean, it's kind of a unique spot to be in to try to encourage and, and invite as many uh, of these kinds of groups as we can to be come to the table and be a part of this. Mm-hmm. Now, there, is there a, um, uh, a, a URL for either HUD or um, Connect Home where people can find out about things such as this fireside chat and and other um, activities by both uh, Home Connect and HUD that are related to broadband? 
Yes, actually, we have a website dedicated to Connect Home. It's connecthome.hud.gov. So okay. that is a place where you can find out some of the press releases, uh, some of the partners, and uh, you know the cities that are engaged right now in the in the program. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that'll be good. Been, yeah, and I think uh, we're working to actually make that even more of a, a uh, informational portal as we go forward. Mm-hmm. And, you know, ultimately, from my perspective, we're starting with 28 cities, uh, and I think what I'm, we want to come out of this, because we're doing a very extensive uh, research component as well, is that we will have some proven successes and, and, and expand the program to other cities eventually. Mm-hmm. Now, one issue um, that I think comes up a lot um, at least by you know, certain parts of the industry, which is um, in urban areas, there is an assumption that the the incumbents such as AT&T and Comcast and so forth have built or are planning to build um, infrastructure that will help people, you know, to get connected or to get connected at the speeds necessary to do some of the more innovative things that are being being created. Um, but in, in reality, is there not a, um, a, a lag of infrastructure uh, in place, meaning uh, fiber, or cable, or whatever is, you know, the reality, um, is there a disconnect between, or not, what people assume to be the case, you know, in terms of everything's well and good in uh, in the urban environment, um, versus what some of us feel is, you know, a great lacking and especially when it's related to uh, the income of the the neighborhood, um, there's a definitely there's definitely a you know a bit a physical a need for physical in, uh, infrastructure improvements. Yeah, I think that that's very true, and I I think you know certainly now the whole issue would be to look at. Uh, you know what what we can do to to encourage that, and a lot of the policy work that you're doing certainly will help in that arena. One kind of related note is that we are really grateful that the FCC has has actually been taking a very strong stand on things like closing the homework gap, uh, on digital inclusion, and, and broadband adoption. And at least for Connect Home, the timing couldn't be better because as there have been mergers like the DirecTV and AT&T merger, uh, a part of the whole process has been to require uh, a low-income plan. So mm-hmm. there there will be a $10 plan uh, that's going to be available in AT&T's wireline footprint that, that will be available to low-income families. Uh, other things coming down the line like you know, the Charter Time Warner uh, merger, there's going to be a requirement that that low-income plans become part of all of this. 
Mm-hmm. So it's really great that we have a commissioners that worry about the homework gap and are being somewhat, you know, uh, intentional about making sure that all of these major ISPs create that level of service that will reach, uh, you know, the folks that we care about. Mm-hmm. Um, what about the community networks? Um, you know, we, we hear about uh, lots of uh, places uh, that have their own um, network. Often these are small towns and, and rural towns and so forth. Um, is there, I don't know, a, a, a thought that um, larger communities can start to build community networks if not to cover the entire city, which is can be a huge undertaking, but even one that sort of is named that goes after particular neighborhoods um, is, is, is that is that possible? Is that part of the discussion, or has been part of the discussion? Yes, I mean that's one thing that's happening. For instance, one of our connect home cities is Baltimore, mm-hmm. and there there is a growing community network effort in Baltimore. Ah, and okay. So as a result of that, uh, the mayor's office of information technology there is extending Wi-Fi uh, to the two pilot sites that are that are run by the Housing Authority of Baltimore uh, that will uh, provide the kind of free Wi-Fi that we did. Uh, with our our folks in Kansas City, mm-hmm. I, I think the whole community network initiative and and the whole con- movement, where municipalities are beginning to be thinking about wireless and as a way to bring uh, low income people internet is is really huge. I know New York City is also working on that. Uh, now, is it similar? Is it similar to? Um, New York City, is it similar to Baltimore where they're looking at, um, uh, I, I think Boston, Baltimore is working on a citywide plan. Um, right. I would imagine that um, New York is going to be a little bit more conservative in terms of its, you know, doing something like this uh, because of the, you know, the land mass involved. Yeah, it's a big, it's a lot of people, for sure. Mm, okay. But I think uh, there there has been a lot of talk from the mayor's office about how do we extend connectivity to low-income people um, by using, uh, you know, wire, wireless as a way to do this in a more low-cost area. Um, mm-hmm. You know, right now the city of New York is working with uh, public libraries to distribute 10,000 Wi-Fi hotspots that are going to, they think, a third of the residents in the Bronx. So that's a pretty amazing development. And they're also yeah, uh, working to create really all of the pay phones uh, to, be, to create the largest, fastest free Wi-Fi network in the world. Now, my take on that, because I still have to kind of reach out and, and get some people directly, in, directly involved, but um, that kind of thinking is the kind of thinking that you guys 
are encouraging, I would imagine, because, I mean, that, that which is, what, you know, a lot of what I'm doing is the same. You know, it's like, look at, you know, I tell people, look at, you know, uh, Chattanooga, look at uh, Kansas City, but also, you know, looking at, look at the way that, um, as a as a large city, how New York is addressing the situation, right? Because they are looking at um, uh, what is it? They're 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 looking at uh, alternative ways to use existing infrastructure, right? So we're talking about the the phone booths of yesteryear, right? And the, the probably no one even thinks about anymore, but. Mm-hmm. Taking it that looking at that 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 opportunity and say we can make something out of this, right? Um, and I think what we forget is that there's a lot of wire and there's a lot of fiber in the ground that has nothing running on it right now. And we, there's a this is the time to be creative and think about well, you know, how do we use that to be something more? Mm-hmm. How do we reach the you know the the people who need it most and create that cheaper approach to things? Right, and uh, I I think that we've got to encourage a lot of the the thinking process. We need to be encouraging it to go outside of the box. I mean, we it's it's no play, overused cliche in some respects, but I mean I think that what's being done is the people who are looking in the things from a different angle are the ones that are coming up with these really great innovative ways of getting broadband into to people. Yeah. It, I and, think it's an exciting era because the technology to do that has become so much cheaper. In, right. In Kansas City, uh, one of our projects was called Glanville Towers. It's mm-hmm. 108 store. It's 108 units in a 10-story building, uh, all dedicated to seniors and people on dis- with disabilities. And so we brought Wi-Fi to the whole complex because it was like a tall cylinder with an open uh, atrium in the middle by installing just six ubiquity uh, indoor uh, AC Wi-Fi radios. Mm-hmm. And so. That that was a $1,200 equipment investment and a connection for $175 a month that gave everybody a real solid 10 meg uh, data uh, speed connection. Mm-hmm. So that I mean that's kind of part of the promise I think for closing the digital divide is the fact that the technology to do it is actually becoming cheaper. Right. And that's going to be a, a, a big, a big, a big plus. Um, one of the things too, um, uh, sort of following on that train, is the role of the libraries, right? Because again, we, you and I, have talked about this earlier today, but um, the libraries, um, and because I've been doing a lot of research with them, uh, having interviews and so forth. They seem to be well suited to the task of um, helping facilitate not only 
the infrastructure build out, but also the digital uh, literacy part, right? Um, they they've got programs, they've got maker spaces, they've got um, you know partners that help bring library services. Uh, to places where the library isn't where they physically are not, um, there, there just seems like a, this a series of activities going on in the library world that seems be, to be begging for you know someone to say, pick me, <laughs> you know, because they've yeah. got some interesting ideas. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm so grateful that the American Library Association is a uh, partner in Connect Home. And in Kansas City with Connecting for Good, you know, I would say the strongest partner we had was the public Kansas City Public Library. Mm -hmm. I think the role of libraries is changing. They're not just a warehouse for books anymore. Uh, they have become um, you might say the knowledge superstore. And so in Kansas City they're doing things in the realm of workforce development. Uh, they provide more free access to low-income people than any other entity in the city, and they've been doing that for 20 years. And I think they see uh, not just Kansas City, but you know, na nationwide, that they are the curators of access to a whole lot of digital resources. And so they're gearing up to make their uh, offerings, you know, more digital than ever before. Uh, not just giving people the ability to use terminals at, in the library, but in Kansas City we were talking about creating virtual branches in the community centers so that the access at a community center computer would be the same as if you were sitting in the library building. Mm -hmm. That opens up a whole new world of, of access and resources to people. And the yeah. librarians themselves are being trained not just to help you find uh, resources, but actually to help you navigate Word and Excel and and uh, Adobe products, uh, they they have they have digital you know um, tutors that, that are part of the services. Mm -hmm. Now, does um, does Connect Home have money for um, infrastructure or Digital adoption, uh, broadband adoption, and digital digital, digital literacy programs, uh, or is it just they're 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 more facilitating the 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 various resources? I know, and I know you said that they have a budget, um, and that's being refined and so forth. But um, should we look at uh, as Connect home as a uh, as a possible you know more so as a um, a funder of these various activities as well just as a facilitator. Well, I think Connect Home is evolving. At mm, this okay. point, uh, there has not been money allocated to it, so we are a convener, a resourcer, uh, a bringing together of these public-private partnerships. Uh, to begin to focus on how do we do this, and how how can we get school children in public housing connected. I think the program is going to evolve. 
we we really I guess part of my mandate is to make sure that we document success, and we when we can show legislators that this can make a very big difference in people's lives, I think that'll change the discussion and funding will probably be a part of it. Mm-hmm. I think the other side of it is, uh, you know, there is government money out there used for things like construction of new public housing or major, uh, you know, re- uh, renovation of our, our HUD facilities. And so we're looking at ways to say, well, how do... You know, if you're going to get money for these other types of construction, let's see if we can't, you know, require you to, to do the broadband infrastructure, whether it be coax or fiber, the building at the same time you're, you know, putting up two-by-fours. So hmm. that that's actually actively ongoing, and a part of uh, my whole, uh, you know, work with HUD is going to be to find out all the ways that, you know, uh, we put out money and let's see if we can sort of say we want a digital inclusion element to to this funding process. Mhm. Now you mentioned um the uh, the FCC uh if I look at the um, you know the administration as a whole, you know the various different agencies and departments and so forth, there is a uh Obama mandate uh, of the various agencies to work together, you know, and to figure out how we can help, you know, have the the the, the parts be greater than than the sum and all that good stuff. Um, where does that where does Connect Home kind of fit in maybe in with that, um, or is it is it right now um, like I said more of a facilitator of these different agencies? Response to the president's mandate. Well, I think uh, I mean one of the roles that I have assumed since I've come here is to be a HUD's liaison to the Broadband Opportunity Council. That was mm-hmm. an interagency working group established by the by White House, and I think you know there there is a lot of great activity going on that our efforts at HUD fit right into. And I think, uh, you know, each agency, in a sense, is looking at, you know, how do we move the ball forward in, in digital inclusion? How do we make sure that whatever programs we're engaged with somehow work to get more of our, you know, low-income citizens online? So that, that's been a pretty exciting thing. I mean, one of the things, for instance, that has been a big part of, of that is the whole uh, new look at Lifeline. And the idea that FCC wants to, you know, allocate 9.25 a month toward broadband, not just to cheap cell phones or free cell phones. So right. I see that as also being one of those things that uh, makes uh, is a promising possibility for our work with uh, families in public housing. That that could be one more resource that will help us to accomplish our goals. Right. And I sense in your comments today that this, um, you know, uh, Connect Home number one and one, but also a number of other agencies are at a point where um, 
they are very receptive to input from the various communities. And I know that, um, you know, and, you know, you talk to people on the street and they say, well, you know, I don't live in Washington, you know, I live in Poughkeepsie or I live in Montana, you know, and all the stuff is going on in Washington and I can't get there. I can't be a part of that. But, um, it seems like we're moving to a point where, um, even if you're not in D.C. specifically, there is an interest, a uh, great deal of interest, in getting the feedback and getting people willing to be part of a planning process by some any number of agencies that are that, that have the ability to impact broadband one way or another. Is that absolutely? Good? Yes, I think, I mean, my personal conviction, I think it's that of many others, that digital inclusion is like the, one of the most important social justice issues of our day. I, mm-hmm. I mean, we if we want, if we don't want to have a divided country between the digital haves and the digital have-nots, it's going to take an effort by all of us to make sure that there's an equal playing field for our school children and adults uh, to become part of. This. I mean, we live in a digital society, but the unconnected is certainly a growing underclass that should not be part of our American society. Mm-hmm. In Kansas City, we had a very active digital inclusion coalition, and we're seeing that happen in many other cities. That you know, agencies are coming together: government, private uh, firms, uh, nonprofits, churches, and saying, you know, let's tackle this together. And and there's being there's a lot of wonderful things happening that I think are going to close this uh, last piece of the digital divide that has been so hard to tackle for these many years. Mm-hmm. And um, it's, so for the for the audience, um, I think what we're talking about here is an opportunity to make a difference, and it may not seem, uh, you know, significant you know in the in the whole scheme of things but i think in reality this is the time when if you re- if you're really concerned about these kinds of issues you you've got to make the effort to get engaged and not just yeah. complain about oh why are you doing this and why aren't you doing that and all this other kind of stuff people need to um uh step up and take advantage of these opportunities that the various agencies are, are are trying to make available for people. Absolutely. You may not want to be a big brother or sister or serve meals at the soup kitchen, but you may be able to teach an older adult how to access the Internet. You might be able to turn a few screws and refurbish a computer. So there's those kind of opportunities to use tech skills to make a uh, positive impact on society, right, and that, that would make a lot of lot of sense. So uh, to, to to wrap up, let's um, you know come back to you know full circle. You know, life in in um, Kansas City. You've learned some definite lessons, and we talked about some of those those in, throughout the show. But in wrapping up. 
what would be the one, I don't know, or two things that communities should do or can do to to um, address this digital inclusion um, mission? I think the biggest thing that I I come to believe is that it, it's a community wide effort. It's a bipartisan cause, and I think the best thing to do is uh, learn who is doing this in your community, try to join arms with them, and uh, find a way to get involved. I think you know rather than sending computers to uh, recycling, find someone that's actually reusing them and can put them into the homes of people who couldn't normally afford them. Mm-hmm. Uh, find where these classes are being taught. Uh, find where, and maybe if there's no class, maybe go to the Y and say, hey, I would like to teach this class and let your older adults know that it's available. And you can end up doing some great things. Excellent. And, um, you know, I look forward to hearing uh, your uh, progress and, you know, how you're getting along with getting, you know, things done. Um, it's been really very helpful to have this kind of discussion. And so I appreciate you taking time um, uh, to, to share some things with us, you know, and also uh, I wish you much luck as, as you go through with all this uh, good stuff. Good. Thank you for the opportunity to share. It's, uh, it's pretty exciting to have this uh, great opportunity, and I just want to thank you for all you do too, Craig. Ah, no worries, no worries. And to the audience, thank you very much for um, for tuning in. Uh, I think that there's a lot of stuff that w- that's going to be coming up in the next few uh, weeks, and we need to get engaged. We really need to get engaged. So thank you for your time, and we'll talk to you again next show.